This morning, after a little hiatus uh, so far this fall, we're going to get back into Genesis. So if you uh, if you've got a Bible, if you want to go ahead and open it up to Genesis chapter 30, if you've got the Pew Bible or the, the Row Bible, uh, sorry, I, I'm, I grew up Presbyterian, so it's a Pew Bible. Uh, you're looking for page 24, 24, Genesis 30. So before we... Before we uh, read through what we're going to read through in God's Word, I just want to do a little bit of catch-up to remind you where we are in Genesis, right? So, uh, you know, we, we started at the very beginning, flood, fall, and um, we took some breaks in there, and we kind of pick up the, the storyline uh, in chapter 12 when God calls Abram, uh, eventually Abraham, right? And he makes his promises to Abraham. To, uh, to Abraham. So uh, in chapter 12, Callan, if you want to go ahead and put that up, this is the, the kind of introductory verse of God making promises to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So as we proceed from chapter 12, what we see is these promises that God has made to to Abraham, we see them being fulfilled in different ways. We see God keeping those promises in different ways. And we see God passing these promises down through Abraham's family. So uh, if you recall, basic structure of Abraham's family from Abraham to uh, Jacob, where we're going to pick up in chapter 30, Abraham and Sarah, they had Isaac as a son. Isaac married Rebekah. Rebekah and Isaac had two sons, only one shown here. Uh, They had Esau and Jacob. So that's where we kind of get uh, Jacob enters the story. He and Esau, as you will recall, um, brothers, brothers fought. They fought maybe a little more than most brothers fight. Um, you'll recall a couple, two main stories that we, that we read about Jacob and Esau, right? The, the birthright with the soup, that whole, that whole incident where, uh, Jacob deceives Esau. Esau, the older brother should have had the birthright, but Jacob deceives Esau He bargains with Esau and steals the birthright for a cup of soup, a bowl of soup. And then right after that, kind of a similar incident, uh, but this time he steals Esau's blessing from uh, from Isaac by putting on the the costume and fooling uh, Isaac into believing that he was in fact Esau and uh, Isaac gave uh, the blessing that was deserved to Esau as the firstborn to Jacob. So uh, this uh, enrages Esau, and Jacob is basically sent away. He's sent away with his father's blessing, uh, and he's sent to his uncle's house, uh, Laban, uh, to find a wife, but also to escape his brother who is looking to kill him. Um, and on his way, he... Uh, the, the, I listened to the sermon Matt preached on uh, the uh, Jacob in Bethel, and, and he makes, makes the point that this is kind of Jacob at rock bottom, 
right? So he goes to Bethel, remember the whole scene of him sleeping uh, with a rock for a pillow. Um, and he has this dream that we, you know, refer to as Jacob's ladder, where he sees the angels going up and down on the ladder. And really what happens there is God pronounces these same promises that we read from uh, chapter 12 to Abraham, he pronounces to, to Jacob. So Jacob receives from God those same promises. But what we see from Jacob again is this bargaining, this, this, this uh, bargaining that he wants to do. He, he goes into this kind of, if God does this, then I will do this. And since God is going to do this, then I will give him uh, 10% of my wages, 10% of what I've earned. So he's kind of still got this bargaining aspect to him uh, that, that we saw uh, even in his dealings with Esau earlier on. So he arrives at, uh, at Laban's house, at his uncle's house, and he immediately meets Rachel and again begins to bargain, uh, wants to take her as his wife, begins to bargain with Laban on can I take her as my wife? Uh, he, and, he and Laban uh, reach an agreement that he'll work for him for seven years. At the end of those seven years, uh, Laban deceives him and swaps out Rachel for his other daughter, Leah. And so, to some degree, uh, Jacob has met his match in Laban, another deceiver, another trickster that he is, has to deal with. He bargains with him again and eventually marries both Leah and Rachel. And then we go into a, a passage that we, we preached through on the birth of all of the children from Rachel and Leah and their two uh, maidservants. And it's a bit of a mess. It's a lot of bargaining. Again, the, the, uh, the ladies with God about opening their wombs and allowing them to give birth. And we end up with uh, a bunch of children born, uh, but it's, it's a mess. You've got this repeating uh, process of family mess throughout all of Jacob's life. But in all of that, we see God working below the surface, hearing those people that are in need, coming to them, and through all of it, keeping his promises and pursuing his purposes. So we're going to go ahead and read chapter 30, which really picks up right after that whole, uh, we're going to start in verse 25, picks up right after uh, the last a uh, child is born uh, from Rachel. Uh, Joseph is born. And uh, I think this is a, a bit of a confusing passage. So um, listen as we read and see where you can see God working in here. And we'll talk through it. So look at me or look, look with me at uh, chapter 30, verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph... Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know, that's, you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now 
When shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall, give, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted as stolen." Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond, and plain trees, and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs that is the watering place where the flocks come to drink. And since they bred, when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his droves, he put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels, and donkeys. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, uh, we know that every sentence, every word, every letter of your word is profitable for us, Lord. And every passage is relevant and has meaning for us here in Mount Airy in 2022. Lord, so I pray that you would help all of us, Lord. Help us to understand what it is that we are to learn, Lord. What is it that you are trying to tell us about yourself and about who we are because of who you are from this passage of Scripture. Lord, I pray for my friends gathered here and anyone that hears the sound of my voice, Lord, that you would You would take any words of mine that are not of you, Lord, and you would make them soft, and anything that I say that is of you, Lord, and make it loud, Lord. Pray for their ears and their hearts and their minds, that they would be affected not by my words, Lord, but by yours. Lord, I pray that you would help me to explain any piece of this that is unclear, Lord, and make it clear how great and mighty you are in this story and in our lives. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. So, everybody understand all the breeding techniques that were described here? I'm going to write those down, maybe put together a book. So, 
Let's break this passage down. What, what is going on here? So Jacob, for some not quite clear reason, determines right now, Joseph's born, I got to go. It's time to go. He's been, it seems, with, uh, with Laban for about 20 years. He's, he served for each of his wives and then uh, seven years for each of his wives and then six years after that. But it's time to go. So he informs Laban and asks him to release him. And, you know, the first time I, a couple times I read this, the thing, the exchange between Laban and Jacob, the thing that came to my mind was the scene from The Princess Bride, The Battle of Wits. Are you all familiar with this? I think, put that up, Callan. It's a little dark, but this is, this is where we've got these two characters on either side of the table, and neither of them trust one another, and they're trying to get to a bargain, right? They're trying to decide what they're going to do with one another. And they go through this whole thing with Iocane powder and wine, and uh, it's quite funny. Uh, but that's what, I, that's what I pictured here. I pictured Laban and Jacob on either side of the bargaining table, and neither of them trust each other. They both kind of seem to assume that one is going to deceive the other. And so they are kind of circling and seeing who can out-cunning the other in making this deal. And you can't blame Jacob for coming uh, to this conclusion, right? Jacob was tricked by Laban uh, in, in uh, marrying, ending up marrying Leah rather than Rachel. And he's been here kind of under these different tricks. He's been in Laban's house as a result of these different tricks now for, for 20 years. We'll see later there's even more to that story. At the same time, Laban recognizes that he has been greatly blessed by God through Jacob. And Laban has no desire for that to end. He basically offers him a blank check. In verse 28, he says, name your wages and I'll give it. So whatever you want, Jacob, I'll pay it. You stay, I'll pay it. Jacob instead makes a counter offer that he'll continue to tend the flock. It seems for a, another uh, season. And he'll take the speckled and spotted among the flock, which from what I understand, would have been relatively small in number and are the less desirable of the, of the animals. So he's willing to take kind of this less desirable, smaller amount as, as his payment. Laban seems to just jump at this opportunity. Rather than the blank check, sure, sure, you want the, the small, weak ones from the flock? Take it. We'll, we'll do that. Let's go. And, and to, uh, to maybe keep him even longer... He then stacks the deck even further in his favor by taking all of the existing animals that were spotted and speckled and black and all of the different characteristics that are described and removing them from the flock, taking them three days away. And it appears that the reasoning here is that uh, it was believed, I don't know if this is true from a genetics point of view, but uh, to breed speckled and spotted, you needed to have Speckled and spotted breed speckled and spotted. So if there's no speckled and spotted, you're not going to breed any speckled and spotted. So he takes, takes them all away so that Jacob will end up with nothing for payment. There's no speckled and spotted in the flock anymore. We won't breed any more speckled and spotted. Jacob will have nothing. So Laban seems to believe that with, the, with this deal and with the... Uh, removal of the speckled and spotted, 
He's got the upper hand here. He, is, he has won the battle of wits. He has outcunning Jacob. The terms seem really flawed. Why did, Jacob, why did Jacob propose these terms? He had a blank check sitting in front of him, and he proposes these weird, speckled, spotted terms. Yet somehow, it works, right? At the end of chapter 30, uh, it says, Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. So, so what are we supposed to learn from this? What, what is the point of this passage? What does it tell us? I read a bunch of different commentaries, and uh, you know, commentaries are helpful in many ways, and sometimes they are just weird. Um, there was a, a couple that said that this is an example of how to negotiate your salary with your employer. Um, I, I think there were at least a few that talked about it from uh, as biblical livestock breeding practices. Even one went so far as to use it as an example of how God blesses supply-side economics. I mean, you can get weird. But we know that the point of God's word is not to do any of those things. The point of God's word is to teach us about God. Every word is meant to teach us about who God is, what he has done, and what he will do. And so, as I talked about before, in all of these stories we've been talking about Jacob and Abraham and Isaac, God seems to be operating just below the surface. And for this passage, the answer of where is God working and what is he trying to teach us, you have to read the beginning of chapter 31. So, pick up. Chapter 31, verse 1. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock were spotted. And if he said, the stripes shall be your wages, then all the flock bore bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. So this verse really gives us the backstory that went on with Jacob that led to the actions that we then saw in chapter 30, which were kind of confusing. 
I think the key verse here is verse 4 in chapter 31, where God says, or where Jacob says, but the God of my father has been with me. It shows us that this story is really about how God was once again and still working all things together in his plan through this family. So this wasn't really a battle of wits between Jacob and Laban at all. You had Laban on one side, and the all-powerful God of the universe was on the other. There was really no battle to be had. And the, the passage seems to keep pointing back to the promises that God made to Jacob at Bethel. Look at how God identifies himself in uh, verse 13 of chapter 31. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made me a vow, made a vow to me. God's referencing back to that encounter, right? Normally, we've seen God identify himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of... But here, it's, I am the God of Bethel. So let's take a look back at what happened at Bethel. So you can either turn, or I think we're going to project it, back to Genesis 28, where God encounters Jacob at Bethel. And he makes these promises. So let's read, starting in verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you, your offspring shall, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised. So from this, I think we see really those same four promises that God had made to Abraham back in chapter 12. We see them repeated here again for Jacob. Uh, 28.15, I am with you and will keep you. 28.13 and 15, return to and inherit the land. Chapter 14, or verse 14, offspring like dust that will spread throughout the whole of the land. And verse 14 as well, through his family, the whole world will be blessed. Really the same promises that God made to Abraham here, restated and transferred to Jacob. And so I think what we see in chapter 30, if you want to flip back to chapter 30, is God fulfilling in different ways these, these promises that he made to Jacob and Bethel. Not complete yet. Jacob's still got a lot of life left to live. We're going to be following him for uh, several more weeks. But we really start to see God blessing and fulfilling uh, Jacob, blessing Jacob and fulfilling these promises. So we're going to take a look at how he's doing that with each one. So first and foremost, promise that I am with you and will keep you. If there's one thing that was clear in chapter 30 before you, you read chapter 31, it should have been clear that everyone seems to agree that God is blessing Jacob. 
Jacob says it. Laban says it. Verse 29, Laban says, The Lord has blessed me because of you. Any blessing that Laban has is coming through Jacob. Jacob says in verse 30, The Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. So he recognizes that same blessing is coming through him. And consider what Jacob came with when he came to Laban. He had nothing, right? He had slept with a rock for a pillow and showed up on Laban's doorstep with literally nothing. He was on the run from his brother who was trying to kill him. He had nothing to his name. And what does he have now? He's now married twice and a large and growing family. And as I said, we see that his work has been greatly blessed. Laban's flocks have increased abundantly. So much so that, as we already said, Laban was willing to write a blank check to keep it going. So, as if all of that wasn't enough, that everyone seems to recognize that all of this blessing is coming from God, all, that God is with Jacob, I think this whole passage of the livestock breeding is meant to highlight it even further. It's really meant to just overwhelm you with the blessing of God. So when we read in chapter 31 that Jacob does this whole thing with spotted and mottled because the Lord told him to, it becomes clear that this is once again a way for God to show that he is the one that is blessing. This deal didn't make any sense apart from God. God knew that Laban was going to take away the spotted and muddled and striped uh, livestock. And yet, when he does that, it shouldn't be possible, apparently, for uh, Jacob to prosper. And yet he does. He prospers greatly. So there can be no sense that this is uh, akin to Jacob's skill of breeding or that he is so amazing, but it's all because of God. It's really reminded me of the passage we studied in Judges about Gideon's shrinking army. Do you remember that when we, when we uh, studied Judges? Gideon shows up to, to fight the Midians with 22,000 soldiers. And uh, God wants to make sure that everybody knows that when Midian is defeated, that it was because of God, not because of the soldiers or, or the army of Israel's might or anything like that. So he takes that 22,000 soldiers, he cuts it in half and removes these guys and takes it down. And by the end, Gideon goes to battle with a couple of hundred soldiers. It's all about making sure that everyone sees that the blessing, that the capability, that the, the victory in this case over Midian is from the Lord and not from any individual. So I think that's the same thing here. God wants to make it clear that it's not because Jacob is an amazing sheep herder or an amazing livestock breeder, but because he is blessed by the Lord. Let's go to the second promise. Through, his, through this family, the whole world would be blessed. And again, we've got this sense of just massive blessing coming on to Jacob from God it seems almost like the blessing is just running over out of Jacob. He, he can't even seem to help it. Laban sees it and acknowledges it. 
Jacob says, the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. It just makes me like, think of Jacob like turning and the blessing just splashing out on whatever is, is around him. Jacob is so quick to point to the Lord as his source of blessing to Laban. And Laban, Laban recognizes it. It made me wonder, how much, how much do I point to God when I'm blessed? When I do something good at work and someone comes and pays me a compliment or, or anything like that, does, am, I, am I quick to point to the Lord that any blessing that I have is because of the Lord? Something that came to my mind this week. Now the problem here is that Laban seems to want to limit the spread. And remember the promise is that the whole world would be blessed through Jacob and his family. Laban doesn't want him to leave. He wants to keep him here. He wants to keep all of that blessing spillover, all that blessing for himself. But that's not the promise. The promise isn't that Laban would be blessed. It's that the whole world would be blessed. And for that to happen, Jacob's got to go. So that brings us to the next promise. Return to and inherit the land. So we don't see Jacob and his family actually return to the land here. We'll get there. But I think God really sets the wheels in motion and sets the conditions here. We see him order, command, tell Jacob to go. And you can say, well, why didn't he just go? Well, really, Jacob is stuck, right? He's effectively in bondage to Laban. He doesn't have anything. He's got a giant family. If he leaves, he has no way to provide for them. He has nothing. And God knows this. Jacob makes this clear in verse 30, uh, chapter 30, verse 30. For, for you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. He's talking to Laban here. But now when shall I provide for my own household too? So he's stuck. He can't leave. He doesn't have any way to provide for this large family that he has. He's got no way to get out of this situation on his own. No way to get out from under Laban's thumb. And that's exactly where Laban wants to keep him. But again, that wasn't God's plan. It wasn't his promise. His promise was that he was going to return and inherit the land. God was well aware of these issues that he was having with Laban and how Laban was mistreating him. When Jacob recounts the conversation that he had with God in uh, chapter 31, verse 7, he says, God said, I see that you're... Uh, this is uh, Jacob talking to uh, Lee and Rachel. I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he once did, as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, that your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. God saw Jacob. God had a plan. He protected him. He prospered him. And now he's going to free him from his uncle. Prospered him so much that at the end of chapter 30, we get that description of him as increased greatly, large flocks, servants, and so on. So now he can depart. God has provided the means that Jacob and his family can return to his homeland. So he's fulfilling, setting the conditions to fulfill that promise of returning him 
to his homeland. Finally, we have the promise of offspring like dust. So consider the state of Abraham's family tree when Jacob arrived at Laban's door. So I think we've got that same family tree, Callan. So this was the state of Abram's family tree. We're missing Esau, like I said on here. But it's a fairly narrow tree at this moment, right? And the, the, the promise of offspring like dust, stars in the sky, so on and so on, that we've heard over and over again through Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. It's still a pretty narrow tree. But now, as Jacob prepares to leave, family tree looks like this. Starting to branch out, starting to expand. Maybe not dust yet. We start to see how God is fulfilling fulfilling that promise. And remember, God started back at the very beginning with Abraham and Sarah, old, beyond uh, childbearing years. Sarah was barren. And now we start to see this promise being fulfilled as the, as the tree widens out. Eventually, we'll read in uh, Genesis 46 that Jacob will end up having 33 children. And they'll have children, and they'll have children. So this isn't done. Again, it's not complete. The promise isn't fulfilled. It is being fulfilled. <clears throat> So what do we do with this? These are God's promises. He is, he is fulfilling them with Jacob. Are these the same promises for us? How do we understand them? And I think we've, we referred to Galatians 3 several times. I just want to read it again. That these promises, these blessings are for us. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by being a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through, through faith. So through Christ, because of what Christ has done, we here in Mount Airy in 2022 get to participate in these same blessings that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were promised. Now, they're not exactly the same. God doesn't promise us a promised land like he did Jacob. He doesn't promise us children as he promised Jacob. He makes us better promises. Instead of land, he promises us an inheritance kept safe forever in heaven. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God doesn't promise us to make us a great nation. He promises to make us part of his great nation, part of his family. Romans 8.14 says, For all 
who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So when you look at that family tree, if you look, if you put the family tree back up for a second, see over there, number four, Judah, you're actually down, down that line. A little further, have to go through the floor. But down through that line, eventually, we get to David, King David, and then eventually we get to Jesus. And through Jesus, you, if you are a follower of Christ, you are made part of God's family. He does promise, just like he promised Jacob, he promises to always be with us. And he does promise to bless others through us, but not principally with physical stuff, not with livestock, but with something better. Go to Matthew 28, which we go to quite often. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he is with us. And the blessing that we are to bring is his message of salvation. Better than livestock. Better than anything else is the message that you, through Jesus Christ, can be reunited with God forever and ever. So as we read this passage, and honestly, this is the story that we're going to read over and over again in Genesis. God makes promises, and then he shows how he's fulfilling them. This should build our confidence that these promises that he has laid out for us and others, this is the same God that is fulfilling promises in the Old Testament in Genesis, same God that is fulfilling his promises for us now. So we can have confidence each day as you go to work. You've got to deal with your boss. You, gotta, you have turmoil in your family. They're all that God is working in those circumstances. And all of these promises, every single one of them, is made and secured through Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, we, like Jacob would have been, would be stuck in bondage. No way out. No way to escape. But because of God's grace, we too can be free. One last thing I want to point out. And that's just the change we see in Jacob. Jacob is changed from when he arrived at Laban's house to now 20-some years later when he's preparing to leave. When he came, he was a devious trickster, out for his own gain. Now, he's repeating God's promises. When they first met, Laban and Jacob seemed like they were kind of cut from the same cloth. Now, there's a stark contrast between them. Laban talks about divination, and we'll see in a few weeks about his pagan gods. Jacob follows the Lord. He does exactly what he tells him to do. 
Did you notice at the beginning of the passage that we read, verse 25 in chapter 30, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, as soon, as soon, Jacob said to Laban, send me away. He says, it's time to go. Why all of a sudden? We find out in chapter 31, because God said, it's time to go. There's no more bargaining. There's no more, well, you know, let's wait until the weather's good. I'm going to take a minute here and do some planning. Nope. God says, time to go. Laban, I got to go. All that bargaining that we've seen throughout his life, the looking out for his own gain, we don't see that anymore here. We see him following exactly what God told him to do. Now, Jacob's not arrived. I don't think he's, he's a, a hero we need to emulate. That's not the point of this passage, right? We're, we're going to see plenty more from Jacob. He's still got more learning to do. But that encounter that he had at Bethel 20 years ago, and then the work, the fact that God has been with him for 20 years, it's changed him. He's no longer the devious trickster that we saw at the beginning of his life. There's a clear, clear difference. And again, this is the same God here in our lives. He uses our circumstances each and every day to sanctify us, to make us look more and more like Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We're being conformed to look like Jesus. So this morning, church, what, what is God working on? What is he taking over time, day by day, and working on in your life? How is he seeking to conform you into the image of his son? And do you take time. I think there's kind of an interesting perspective to take here on taking time to look back. There's a little bit of a perspective of looking back over Jacob's life at this point to see how God has changed him. You look back and marvel at what God's done, where he's used circumstances, maybe circumstances in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, circumstances of health, circumstances at work, with an employer, with coworkers, to help conform you towards the image of his son. Do you look back and like Jacob, are you able to say, but God has been with me? Let's pray. Jesus, how great you are. Only you can make these promises through time and space and be trusted to keep them. Only you are sovereign over all the earth, over all families, over all marriages, over all challenges, health, jobs, the entire economy, every aspect of our lives. Only you can be trusted to never leave us. Only you can redeem us from our sin, free us from bondage. Only you can secure our home with you forever. And only you can make us instruments to spread your message of redemption to the ends of the earth. 
Jesus, only you can conform us to your image, fit to be before you in heaven. Help us, Lord, to believe your promises, to make those promises part of who we are, to make them the reason why we act, why we do what we do, because we believe your promises, Lord. We need your help to do that. Help us to know that you and only you are every day in small ways and in big, fulfilling your promises and conforming us to the image of your Son. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.